Welcome to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at thecrossing.cc. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Man, I do appreciate that. I so honor our, our, our students here. You guys are doing a great job. Pastor Dallas, you're training them well. Great job. Well, good morning. I also want to give a shout out to, uh, man, I, I mean, we, I don't know how to say this. The lady that just did that transition is so good looking. And uh, can we give my precious wife a great hand here? Just good Lord. Stop. And uh, I picked out that top for her. I do want you to know. <laughs> her years in the boutique business now, I, I have got a, a, a real good eye for, for tops. The top that Christine was wearing came from her boutique, I'm just saying. So, cheap, cheap plug there. No, so glad to have you all here this morning, and I am excited that we've got all of these uh, great, great groups that are starting today. This is your opportunity to get out there and peruse the catalog, look at the, the website, and uh, go meet some folks when we're done here. Again, I, I really, the dream, I, our dream would be that we have more people in groups meeting than we actually have here in the church. It'd be great to just, you know, however many we have, say we have 1,000 folks here, it'd be great to know we had 2,000 meeting in groups. Uh, and here's, here's why, because it's a very sad thing to go through life and to bump into anything, we're all gonna bump into hard patches of ground. Everybody does. And it's about 10 times as worse, worse if you're doing it alone. It's gonna be tough. There's gonna be some tough days, but man, it's just a shame to be a believer and to go through a tough patch alone. As well, uh, I saw, I was actually reading some things from uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves. And uh, tough reading, by the way. He's a super intellectual guy, but some, some just brilliant. But one of his things that he brought out is that, that most people, many people, never actually have a friend by his definition. A friend being, and here's how he described a friend. He said, many people have comrades, English writer, but a few have friends, and a friend is this. Uh, if, you, if you have somebody that if you go without seeing them for a few months or even a few years, but you pick the conversation, the next time you meet with them, you immediately pick the conversation up just like you hadn't been apart for a long time. He says, that's a friend. You know, I'm, I know that now I'm blessed to have just a couple of those. And I, the reason we have groups, the topics that we're covering, that's very important. But as, as much, we want y'all to connect together and start to build friendships to go through your lives together because we need each other. Amen? Amen? Well, I'll tell you, every song we just sang here, the, 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 the series that we're in is called This Is Church. Everybody say, This Is Church. And uh, all the unstoppable God and all those things. I was thinking, I had a thought on this front row. Uh, back in uh, 2017, in Michigan, the uh, Lions, the, the D Detroit Lions football stadium, they tried to, to blow it up. It was called the Silver Dome, and it was built in 75. And uh, so the camera crews all got around. And set, By the way, if you're a Detroit Lions fan, that's, that's pretty much what you want to do, is just blow your stadium up and call it. But uh, the Cowboys, Cowboys have had some of those years too. Okay, just let you know, we're just praying. By the way, Cowboys, 325 kickoff, so you're gonna, you're gonna be fine. I'm gonna get you out of here and you can have lunch before kickoff. But anyway, they, they, they set all these things up and it was kind of a big deal. I think it's at seven o'clock in the morning. It was an early, early news morning. Cameras are all there and uh, people are out there with signs and doing all kinds of things. And they hit the, they hit the, the blow up thing and you see this big Smoke goes there everywhere, clouds of smoke everywhere. And as the, the cloud ends and the crowd's cheering, you hear them go, <laughs> because it didn't go down 
it was still standing there. And one of the comments made was, it was just built too good. Well, here's what I want you to know. The Church of Jesus Christ has been around a long, long time. And it's been compared to Noah's Ark. In other words, it doesn't always smell so great, but it is the only thing floating. And uh, the Church of Jesus Christ has been through a whole lot, but it will be the only thing standing. It's just built too good. And what we're going to talk about today is uh, just, you know, this series is kind of birthed out of, uh, for me, wanting us to all come together as one big team and understand, wait a minute, what is it, what is it that we bought into? What do we join here every Sunday? And is this all that church is? And this is fantastic. If this is all it was, I'd go, hey, praise the Lord. But this is the people machine, the plan A of God to take over the planet. That's what we're here to do, to learn how to do. And the good news is this, the plan has been in place for over 3,500 years. It's not a new plan. And one of the reasons that I wanted to do this series is because with all the kind of hip, cool, and current ways and styles of doing church, and all of the ways that we've kind of morphed and shifted with style and with culture to try to make it relevant, uh, I wanted to be sure, have we lost the main thing? Do we still have the main thing? And every once in a while, you got to stop whatever it is you're doing, whenever you're about, you know, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, and rethink, wait a minute, we started out to accomplish something. What was it? And uh, so what I want to do today in today's message is, you know, again, we talked about this in the first service. Today, people pick their, their churches by what style of jean the pastor wears, right? This is a nice slim cut, not a skinny, a, a slim cut. <laughs> And uh, Pastor Randy will not be wearing skinny jeans. Uh, but you can, if you want a skinny jean, Pastor, uh, uh, Pastor, uh, my, my buddy up the road here at Faith, Scott, Pastor Scott, and he, we're friends, by the way, so he, he'd say Scott. Uh, Pastor Scott's a skinny jean, Pastor. Uh, you can wear them looser and slightly torn. And if you're needing that for your church, we can find that. Or, 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 or you know, grotesquely torn, we've got churches in the area that, that can help you find pastors Whatever your theological bent is, we can help you find a pastor to fit that. And uh, so, but with all the hip, cool, and current music and the morphing and dwarfing of church, I want to get down today and, and let you know here at the crossing, and not, 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 we're not better than or less than any other church. We're, we're a part of the church. We're one, uh, you know, platoon of a great, vast army, and we want to hold our end up. But it's important for me as pastors to say, wait a minute. Let's go back to the Bible and let's be sure we're doing what God's called us to do. And I think we do pretty well, actually. But uh, you guys open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6. And we're going to, here's, here's what I want you to know God's plan for his church has been in place before the earth was created. And we get looks of it in Genesis and Exodus and all through the Bible here. And in Exodus chapter 5, 3,500 years ago, how church is to be done and what the point of it is. It's spelled out in the scriptures. And I'd like us to, to read that. Um, and, and in doing so, I'd, I'd remind you as well. Uh, I, the name of our church is called The Crossing Church. And the name of this message is called The Crossing Church. And uh, this is my 20th year in ministry now. We, we are not in ministry, 30 years in ministry back in 88. But um, in 1999, I became the official pastor here. And we determined at that time we were going to change the name of the church. It was Abundant Life Assembly of God Church of the Woodlands, Texas. 
And so just the sign shut down uh, Shadow Bend because it was so big, went straight across there. And uh, we knew that God, when I became the pastor of the church, had gone through some, uh, some turmoil. And we knew that God was wanting to put together a new wine skin be, uh, be, be, for, for new wine. And one of those things was, was to change the name of the church. So we got a handful of the leaders, uh, probably seven or eight, and we went out to Lake Conroe. We had some condos out there that we would go to the same condos where uh, some guys you know, startled me in the morning. I told you about it once before with the motorcycles. Anyway, if you were here. Uh, so I'm out there. We're out there, and we're, we're uh, <clears throat> sitting around white, doing, having a whiteboard session, and we had like 33 names. And they were just, I'm telling you, this was just kind of like redneck thinking here, just, just throwing a name up there. You know, first church of this, second church of that, and all, all just kind of coming off the top of our head. And, you know, nothing was going, yeah. And quite literally, I hadn't pre-thought this. I hadn't, just sitting there in that session, the name, the crossing, it just kind of appeared in my head. Just, and I, so I just said, hey, put this up here, the crossing, the crossing church. And everybody in the room then, well, not because of my brilliance, but because there was something about it, everybody went, and so we you know, got down to the top three that we liked, and then we said, hey, let's pray about it. Next morning, we get up, we pray about it. Everybody's feeling pretty good about the crossing, and no real spiritual reason why. We just thought, hey, that's cool. And then we said, let's pray about it for a week and see if we still feel the same. We did. So we determined that's what we're going to change the name to. Well, I made an announcement on a Sunday morning just like this. I said, hey, gang, uh, next couple of weeks, I'm going to be preaching some sermons. I want to let you know we're going to be changing the name of the church, and I'll let you know in the uh, next couple of weeks. And a, a lifetime member of the church at that time, one of the original members, came up, and he pushed back on it just a little bit. He just you know, called me into question. I don't recall all the details. I just remember when I walked away from that conversation, I thought, you know, I'm probably a young, dumb, stupid pastor, and I'm about to make a grave mistake that's going to shake the whole church up. And man, it really caused anxiety for me. And so I told him, hey, you know, if, if, if I'm about to make a mistake, I'll stand up the next Sunday and go, hey, that was a dumb idea. Forget it. You know, Abundant Life Assembly God Church of the Woodland, Texas stays on the sign. And uh, so I started praying that week very desperately. And uh, one of the mornings, I had really kind of thought, you know what, I'm going to make the announcement next week. That was a dumb idea. Sorry, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a new pastor. I, I don't know what I'm doing. So, um, but as I was getting up one morning, man, and I was praying and I said, God, I'll, I'll get up this week and tell them this was a bad idea. And boy, just as, just as clearly as that name appeared to me, God began to unload stuff into my mind. I could not write fast enough. And, I, and some of you might have been here back in those days, but I, I, I started writing a 17-point series, 17 places in Scripture, starting in Egypt with the crossing of the Jordan, the crossing of the desert, the crossing, excuse me, the crossing of the Red Sea, the crossing of the desert, the crossing of the Jordan, uh, how we cross over to get to heaven. I mean, man, I had like 17 points. Can you imagine? Just say, thank God today's only got four points. <laughs> but the Cowboys don't kick off till 3.30, so... We got time. 17 points, and I'm telling you, it, it, God just absolutely said, no, I have chosen the name for this church. And our title today is not so much the Crossing Church because that's our name. It's because the church in general, though not every church is named the Crossing, it is about moving people. It's about getting them from point A to point B. It's a safe place of passage to get from where you've been to where God is taking you. And all church is about, punch your neighbor and say, get moving. Yeah, punch the other one and say, you get moving. Now, let the bitterness 
Calm down. We have counseling. For, so uh, it's all about movement. It's all about crossing. And I, and I got a lot of it from the book of Exodus and from just all of those different crossings. And so I want to read to you Exodus chapter 6, the 3,500-year-old plan for the church, and let you know, no matter how the culture changes and how cool and hip and current we become, these things must never change. And praise God, I, th I think we're on track. But let's look at it. Exodus, Exodus chapter 6, verse 5 says this. God speaking to Moses, moreover, I have heard the groanings of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Everybody say covenant. I've remembered my covenant or my promises. Verse six, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and number one, I will bring you out. Everybody say, I will bring you out. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will, I will free you. Everybody say, I will free you. I will free you from being slaves. These are his promises. I'll free you from being slaves. And I will redeem you. Say, I will redeem you. With an outstretched arms and with mighty acts of judgment. And I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as your own possession, for I am the Lord. These are considered now in uh, Orthodox Jewish circles. And from, from the time, in fact, I'll just say this. When Jesus led communion the night before he was betrayed, he didn't have just one cup. He had four cups, actually five Five cups. And to this day, when a Jewish Seder is had, they have five cups poured, and they celebrate four of those cups. And they're called the four I wills. And when they get their families together around this, this table, they go through the passage we just read, and they rehearse the promises of God for them, the I wills. I will bring you out, I will set you free, I'll redeem you, and I'll make you my people. They have a fifth cup that they don't touch, nor do they celebrate. It's the cup of Abraham, or it's called, uh, it's, it's really, they're still waiting for the Messiah to come. And what they're waiting for is their ultimate salvation, the cup, if you will, of ultimate salvation. And they don't drink it because they believe it's yet to come. When we take communion, we just take one cup, the one. We believe our Messiah has come. And entailed in that, are all of the things that we just read. These four cups, though, they celebrate them because these are promises of God. The very first thing I want you to get in your heart is this. God said this. I see my people there in Egypt. They've been there for 400 years. Their groanings, their prayers, their complaining, it's all come up before me. And it, you could look at that and think, well, did God forget his promise when he says, I've remembered my covenant? He hadn't forgot it. It's one of the ways that we interact with God, and it's one of the things he wants. He wants us, you and me, to bring him into remembrance of his promises. And what had happened was this group of people had started talking about it so much, complaining, crying. How many of you have ever been in a point of desperation and your prayer didn't sound like, oh, Jesus? Uh, it was like, where, where in the world are you, God? I've been counting on you. It sounded a little complaining. Anybody ever been there? I want you to know, God is not offended with us going to his word to say, God, aggressively, 
and intensely. I'm calling out to you on behalf of your word. You promised. Because right here it says, the way that they got out of Egypt was the people begin to cry out to God and say, God, you promised. And God doesn't forget his promises. He's waiting on a people to get a hold of those promises and stand on those promises. Let me read you the scripture here, Covenant Promises, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 5 says this, and this is beautiful. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, by coming to know Jesus, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. Everybody say promises. Look what these promises do. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature. The promises enable you and me to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of that promise, make every effort to respond to God's promise. Inhale that for a second. You and I can actually participate and partake of God's divine nature just by getting saved? No, not necessarily. Yes, to some degree. But how do you get a hold of it? He said, there are promises that I've made to you, some of them 3,500 years old. I know my promises. I'm waiting for a people who will meet me at the place of that promise and seek me with di diligently, meaning even when you're praying and you're disappointed, you keep praying it. Even when a long time passes, you keep standing firm. I want you to understand something. The promises of God, they are, Second Corinthians says, they are yes and amen. What that means is when you say, God, do you mean me for this promise? His answer is yes, to which you say amen. And whatever the promises are, he's looking for a people who will be bold enough to say, this includes me. Some, uh, many, many of us now were just first married, and uh, I had been hired on staff, and uh, I, quite honestly, the trustees at the time when I was hired, now this is before I was pastoring, uh, their thought was, we need to keep our staff poor, because uh, that makes them have more faith. And some of us were raised in that time. So, uh, uh, and I, again, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not completely over the bitterness, but I'm doing so much better. <laughs> but anyway, it was, it, things were tight. And uh, at the same time, I was considered self-employed, which means 30% of my income. I had to pay both sides of my tax to the IRS. And so every time it was tax season, uh, I would be driving to my tax guy and I would be sick, like almost throw up sick, like mad sick. Anybody you know, around April 14th, anybody ever get angry? Like, if I could, I'll leave it alone. So uh, I, I, was, I was like, and me and the IRS, we did not like each other. I, I believe we ought to pay our fair share of tax and all that, and I think there's a lot of things the country needs to get done. I, I, frankly, I don't have a lot of confidence in the, the Yale and Harvard graduates that can't handle a checkbook up there, but that's for another day. I'll leave that alone as well. But I, I'm all for, let's, let's get our government what they need so they can protect us. But man, everything, I, they took so much, and every time I'd go to the tax guy, he never said, well, Pastor Randy, you're getting a great big old fat refund. He would always say, you got a great old big fat bill. And i go, oh. And so I got a hold of a scripture 
in uh, Jeremiah 17, 7, it says, blessed is the man, blessed is the promise, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He will be like a tree planted by the waters that extends its roots by the stream. And he will not fear when the heat comes, but his, but his leaves will be green. And he will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease to produce fruit. I begin to rehearse that in my head. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is the Lord. He will be like, and I, while I'm thinking about this and this anxiety is on me and this bitter hatred and more is inside of me toward the IRS and just feeling totally controlled. And uh, what I didn't know is my tax man was aware of a benefit that was available to me, but he didn't, he didn't, he didn't think it would be the right thing for us to do. It was a legal tax benefit for me. And he was, you know, he was an older guy, kind of from an old school, and so he didn't make me aware of this benefit. So year after year, the IRS has taken everything I own. I think, you know, we had four or five other children. I just gave them, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they're out there somewhere. <clears throat> so we, they were just taking everything we, we owned, and, uh, and this, was just, this just kill. I mean, you just feel helpless. Like, they're just bigger than I am, and I can't figure out how to win. Man, I got this promise in me, and I remember driving to the tax guy, and I'm just saying, and, I, and, this, and I'm not like all friendly with it. I'm, I'm like saying, blessed is the man who trusts. This is the promise of God. God, this is what your word says. I am a man of God. I trust you. I am counting on you to be just like I'm by our source, like a tree that's right by the source it needs my root tree. I am c confessing this thing. I get over there, and I informed him because somebody had informed me. I said, hey, I understand there's a benefit that could, could really benefit me on this. And he says, well, yes. I said, well, hey, look, you work for me. Uh, I, I wanna enact that benefit for me and my family. And we had to go through paperwork and all this. The IRS had to grant it. And not only did I not have to send money in, the IRS reimbursed me for about three or four years of stuff, and I got a big old check back. <laughs> Hallelujah, yeah. That benefit was there the whole time. Gang, here's what I would say to you. There's blessing that's already available to you somewhere out there. God already has it, and you just need the right person to talk. There's, there's some of you in here right now that there's something waiting on you. The right person hadn't come to give you advice or to advise you. I encourage you, start getting a hold of promises. I mean, there's a reason why. Every time we give the tithe at the end of the service, I call out uh, Malachi chapter three. It's a promise. God says this, test me and try me in the tithe and see if I won't pour out blessing you cannot contain. Yeah. And to this day, I stand fervently up here and I stand it in my private and I say, God, you have blessed me and Stacy immensely. We are getting to give at levels this. In fact, we just did something that was just so fun for me and it's stuff I've dreamed of. But here's the deal. The scripture says, I'll, I'll, I'll pour out blessing you cannot contain. And I have been standing at a place now for some time saying, God, I, your word said that I can't contain it, which means we're going to have to work to figure out what do we do with it? Where do we invest it? Who do we give it to? I haven't reached that place yet. I am standing fervently on your promise that that is going to happen. You said I'm standing on it. Yes. If you're here and you deal with fear, you need to get a hold of the promise in 2 Timothy 1.7 that says, God has not given you that spirit of fear. That's not from him. He's given you a spirit of love and power and a sound mind, brilliant mind. 
Sometimes you need to speak that over your mind. You, I have the mind of Christ. I can think what he would think, say what he would say in a situation, handle my life with the same wisdom. You need wisdom. James 1 says this, anybody who lacks wisdom, anybody, 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 anybody who lacks wisdom, if you will ask me, I will give it generously to you if you have a situation. These are the promises of God, ladies and gentlemen, dealing with the devil. John, 1 John, what is it, 4, 4, 4. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Get a hold of the promises of God and go to war. And when it takes a long time, and it will, you keep standing. And when you get discouraged, you keep standing. And if your prayer turns from, dear Lord, would you to, God, I'm standing on your word. It's okay. He can handle it. He's looking for somebody to grab hold unswervingly to those promises Many of you have met me. Uh, one of my places I meet people often is at the Black Walnut Cafe at 645 in a particular booth right there off of, new, not new trails, but whatever it is. Anyway, Black Walnut Cafe right up here. I've met a ton of people there. Here's what I want you to know. We meet there. I leave my house. You leave your house. And we meet there. I want you to know the promises of God are like Black Walnut Cafe for you. God is waiting in the booth. He's waiting to meet you at the promises, and he's looking for a people who will just say it enough and stand enough to go, you know what? I can't wait to bless this guy. Anyway, enough, boy. You, let's, okay, that was for free. All right, so that's not even the message. Okay, covenant. He said this, I have remembered my covenant, my promises. And then he gives these four promises, and he says this, I will bring you out. That's the first cup that they would drink. That's the first promise that he made. When God was showing me the, the name of the church, that the, the first crossing that came to mind certainly was when Israel was in Egypt, they came to the Red Sea, and at the Red Sea, it was stopped, and Egypt was barreling down on them. They were slaves. They were slaves in Egypt, and God opened the Red Sea, created a crossing a safe place of passage miraculously and graciously opened by God for them to get out of slavery and into freedom. While they were there at that, that, that place, Pharaoh started to come barrel down on them. The, the very thing that once enslaved them started chasing them, trying to once again re-enslave them. Gang, this is a picture of what salvation looks like. You raise your hand, you pray a prayer, God brings you out, and before you can get totally free, the old thing that used to enslave you starts chasing you, saying, oh no, you're not gonna get away from me, right? Anybody, we're gonna be extremely real today, so I'm gonna get everybody. That thing starts to barrel down and try to trap you again. There's a place in scripture, Exodus chapter 4, 22, says this, then you will say to Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son. This is God speaking to the Pharaoh who enslaved Israel. He said, tell him this. This isn't just a bunch of Jews. This isn't just a bunch of tribal uh, vagabonds. These are my kids. Tell Pharaoh this is personal with me. You go tell them, Israel's my son, my firstborn, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn, what Eden said there, and I will kill you because that's ultimately what happened. Salvation is a picture of this. You are enslaved in the bondage of sin. 
You are enslaved in a merciless life. You can't find your identity. It's like being in an orphanage where you keep thinking, I must have a dad out there somewhere, but I've not met him. And God comes to bring you out of that place so that you can come to know him. Let me read the scripture to you here. First Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out. Everybody say, he called me out. He called you out of darkness and into wonderful light. Once you had no identity, he called you out as a people. Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. There has been a drastic change from where you were to where God's called you to, and he did that by breaking the power of Satan in your life. This is what salvation is. This is what the, the first crossing was across that Red Sea. And this is where you are called out so that you can meet God. Titus 3, 3 through 8 says it this way. And I love uh, uh, Eugene Peterson's translation. It says, it wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin, ordered every which way by our glands. Hello. Going around with a chip on our shoulder, angry at everybody, hated and hating back. But when God, our kind and loving Savior God, stepped in, he saved us. Everybody say, he saved us. He saved us from all of that. It was all his doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath, and we came out of it new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior, Jesus, poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with him and given us back our lives, and there's more life to come and eternity of life you can count on this. So gang, here, here, here's, what, here's what mission number one did. Here's what crossing number one did. It brought you out of darkness, out of sinfulness, and into the light of God. Not only that, here's the beautiful thing. The ones and the thing that's been trying to enslave you. How many of you know that, that once you get saved, your old nature, it doesn't go anywhere? Yeah. And a lot of those old habits, and some of them aren't so old, <laughs> some of those current habits, they keep trying to tell you nothing's changed. You're in slavery. It just keeps trying to chase you. Here's the beautiful thing. When they went through that crossing of the Red Sea, not only were they free, but the thing that could have come back and recaptured them, all, Pharaoh and all of his army was drowned and killed yes. at that first crossing. Salvation is somewhat a violent thing. You were enslaved by one thing. You had no identity. Now you have an identity. You were in darkness. Now you were in light. The very first step or the very first part of our mission is this. Mission number one is that you would come out of darkness and into his light. And we say it this way. We want you to know God. Everybody say, know God. God. The very first cup is I will bring you out as my children and you can begin to know God. It starts at salvation, but it's an ever increasing, ever ongoing thing that you and I are going to do. Mission number one, everybody say, know God. Salvation. Mission number two, I will free you. Everybody say, I will free you. This is crossing the desert. Israel, many of you know the story. Israel came out of Egypt, and God got them out of Egypt. Step number one, mission number one. Mission number two, 
Now he had to get Egypt out of them. With me? He got them out of it. Now we've got to get it out of you. And Israel, though they were completely free, they still thought like enslaved people. They thought like belittled people. When they came up to what God wanted to give them, because they still had Egypt in them, they saw the giants, and it says this, we were as grasshoppers in the eyes of our enemies. In other words, they had grasshopper complex. Anytime we come out of sin, very few people come out and are born again and all of a sudden start to realize God doesn't just love the seven billion people. He loves me. And God's promises isn't for the church or some special holy people. It's for me. We almost have to have something help us get out of our grasshopper complex. And I think the enemy, honestly, enjoys keeping us in the, this kind of this general God sort of loves everybody. No, he loves you. He's aware of you. We talked about these promises. Hebrews chapter 11 says this. The kind of faith that pleases him is this, that you must believe first that he is. How many of you believe God exists? Here's, here's the deeper faith. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is a responder. It's pretty easy for me to believe God is. It was a bigger deal to think, wait a minute, he responds to me. God knows you. In order for this freedom to happen, let me read you uh, the freedom. Paul uh, understood this very well. He understood. How many of you think Paul was a pretty good Christian? Right? Wrote, saw Jesus. I mean, come on, that puts him ahead of most of us. Saw him, got knocked on his keister by him, uh, blinded by him, and uh, had a prophet come to him, tell all kinds, kinds of things. Uh, spent a lot of years in training, built churches, wrote a third of the New Testament. The guy was the real deal. And yet he had the honesty to say, I have been saved, but I still have nastiness in my flesh, and it aggravates the fire out of me. I understand this. When you got saved, you did start to partake in the new nature of God. Yeah? But how many of you would be honest enough to say, I've come to realize my old nature didn't go anywhere? When you get saved, your old nature starts butting heads with the holiness that has entered you. And we'd like to think, well, you just get saved and you don't feel anything again. No, let me tell you what normal Christian feels like. Some of you would say, oh, I just feel holy. Ah, yeah. I don't buy it because until you die, you're going to have nasty flesh and it desires to lust and to greed and to lazy and to selfish. And uh, if you're not feeling it today, give it three days. It'll show up. Paul had the honesty to say, I'm a, I'm a smoking Holy Ghost filled Bible writing church building, go to prison for it guy. I've got the real thing, gone to heaven, seen Jesus myself, and I've got this nasty flesh. And he writes in Romans chapter 7, the thing I really want, because I, I want to love and serve God. I really do. Can anybody relate? I mean, I, I so relate. Oh, God, I want you to be proud of me. I want you to see me in the batter's box and hit the home run with dad in the stands and go, I want to hear him say, that's my boy. Get out there and hit somebody, Randy. I want my dad to be proud of me. At the same time, I have this nasty flesh and giving just the right circumstances, I can still lust, be greedy, be nasty, be selfish, think all kinds of private things in my head that are not godly. And I see what Paul's saying when he goes, oh, wretched man that I am, I'll read it to you. Oh, what a miserable person I am. 
Paul speaking, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. See how, uh, so you see how it is in my mind, I really wanna obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature still here, I'm a slave to that sin. Now here's the beautiful thing, Paul doesn't stop writing right there. Romans chapter eight comes immediately, and by the way, when he was writing, he didn't say chapter eight and chapter seven, none of that, he just keeps writing. So now there is no condemnation. Everybody say no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. What is he saying here? What Paul is saying is, yes, I'm saved. And even though I'm saved, sometimes I still fail and I sin. Does that mean then that when I sin, I'm not really saved? Here's what he's saying. God knew that when he saves you, your flesh would still be nasty and you'd still have that sin nature. And so when you sin, if he were gonna condemn you, he'd, he'd throw the gavel down and go, my goodness, I sent my son to die for you. You asked forgiveness and now here you are sinning again. Condemned means case closed. No hope. You're condemned. You'll never change. That's what condemned means. You know what he, Paul was saying? God knew when he saved you and called you out that Egypt was still in you. He knew that. And that's why he says, because you're born again, there is therefore now, this very, when is now? Right now, this second we're standing in right now, no condemnation. What that means is this, sometimes you're gonna fall and trip, and this is not giving you the big okay to just go, whatever, that's not what I'm saying. But God knows your nasty nature. You want to please God, but you're gonna fall sometimes. Here's what that scripture tells you. You get to get up every single time. Every single time you get to get up. I mean, here's the thing about fighting with sin. I mean, if you're in a boxing match, if somebody knocks you down, the only reason that means anything is if you don't get back up and get back in the fight. Righteous man falls seven times, but how many times does he get back up? Seven times. Bring it on, baby. I'm not saying bring on the sin. I'm just saying he brought us out, and then he brought us to this place 2 Corinthians, you can just write this down, take this note. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 says, but we who with unveiled face are beholding in a mirror, get this picture, beholding in a mirror the image of Jesus, and we are being transformed to look like Jesus with ever-increasing glory. Did you get that picture? We're being transformed, but look, I look at y'all every week and y'all look at me every week, we, we don't look like Jesus. That's what we're trying to look like. Pastor, does that mean we're not saved? No, it means we're on our way. It's the beautiful thing. There's no condemnation while we're on our way because until you die, you're not gonna look like him. The beauty of him saying, I'm gonna take you out, but I'm gonna set you free. Freedom is not a, an instant thing. It's a lifestyle. It's a get back up. And what it means by ever increasing, it means you're ever getting a little bit better. You never stop. You're, ever, you're always getting ever increasing. A little bit better, a little bit better, Oh, drop, uh, get a little bit better. All of your life, ever-increasing glory. You track, tracking with me? He wants to take you out. He wants to set you free. He wants to take you out so you can know God. Everybody say, know God. <laughs> Mission number two, he wants you to find freedom. Everybody say, find freedom. freedom. 3,500-year-old design and plan for the church. Number three, I will, is I will redeem you. I will redeem you. That's what he said in the scripture in Exodus 6. 
this is the crossing of the Jordan. This is what God showed me. This is the crossing of the Jordan because here's what redeem means. When you were born, God had a reason for you to be born, but you didn't know it, and most of you in here still don't know it. To be redeemed, it means to bring you back to the original purpose you were created for. God told Abraham before there ever was a Jew. Abraham was a redneck heathen. He, he wasn't a Jew. He started the Jewish nation, and God promised him, I'm going to give you the land you're standing on, every place you put your foot, and ultimately, that's where I want my people to be. That's the original intent. Israel got to Egypt, came up, was born 400 years, made into a big nation. God brought them out, number one, brought them, got them through the desert over, over uh, 40 years, and now they're at the Jordan for the third crossing, and this is to redeem them. I will redeem you. And what he's saying is, I want to bring you back to my original intent for your life. And here's, I'll run very quickly. Every person in here, the, the, the statistics tell us this, that 80% of people who come to church still ask the question, and I understand, it's a deep question, why am I here? Why did God create me? What's my purpose? Do you know that 3,500 uh, years ago, God said the purpose of the church that I'm putting together is to do these, these things, is to bring you out unto salvation so you can know God, it's to set you free to get the Egypt out of you so you can find freedom, and it's to help you discover the purpose, your original intent. I will, these are promises, promises. God promises to help you find what you were designed for if you'll get a hold of that promise. 80% of people sitting in churches do not know. They know Jesus. They know they're going to heaven. They don't know, what am I here to do? Our lives are so stinking busy. We're chasing every idea that there is, and there's billions of them. We can't even keep up with them. Everybody here needs to take a real big, deep breath and say, God, I don't want to live the rest of my hours on this planet and not fulfill what you've called me to do and be. What's the Crossing Church about? We're helping people to know God. We're helping people to find freedom. And we're helping people to discover purpose. 3,500-year-old plan. Let me read you the scripture. Ephesians 1, 11 says, it's in Christ. Look at this. this. This ought to really help you. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. You're too quiet. Let me say it again. It's in Christ that we find out these two things, who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eyes on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and everyone. Boy, you got to get that scripture just down and just realize when I came to Christ, that's what happened. God began to re return me to my purpose. Last point. I'll make it quick. He says this. I will take you as my people. Now, there's nothing to cross. There's no Jordan to cross, no Red Sea to cross, no desert to cross here. Here's what he's saying. I'm going to take you from all of these scattered individual identities, and I'm going to make you into one people at, at Sinai. Early on, God spoke to Israel, and he said, I want to make you a, holy, a, a royal priesthood and a holy nation. I want every one of you to come individually into my holy of holies, not just the priest. I want you to come, every one of you, to be able to come to me and talk to me and know I've made you right. And Israel said, we're scared of you. You're mean. You're kind of, you're, we can't. We'll send Moses to talk to you. He can tell us what you think. We don't want to be a part of this nation of 
individual sons and daughters. We'll stay like we are. God never changed his mind. Even to this day, I'll read it to you out of the New Testament. God's wanting to build us into a people, a group, a team, and knit us together. Ephesians 2, 16 says, Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders, that would be Gentiles, and peace to us insiders, that would be the Jews. He treated us as equals, and so made us equals. Through him, Jesus, we both, have, uh, both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. Look at that, equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You no longer want, uh, are wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You are no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. Everybody say, I belong here. With as much right to the name of Christian as anyone. God is building a home out of you and me. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here in what is his building, that is the church. 1 Peter 2.9 once again says, you are not like that. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. What, what does all that mean? This is our, the, the fourth part of our mission, and that's this. You're here to make a difference. God wants you to be connected with the people around you. He, he brought you to this nation, then he brought you to this state, so that you could be a Cowboys fan. He brought you to this city and he's brought you to this church so that you could be knit together with other people. God never wanted you to be a lone ranger, a hyper super spiritual, don't need anybody. God has always intended that we would come together in groups, that he would build brick upon brick, you know, that he would knit us and fit us together into groups there's all kinds of strengths and groups throughout this church, and there's nothing better than when you get together. I talked with the uh, sweet Bonnie. Well, it's decent, yeah. Uh, this morning, she's she's got a group. I just saw her in the first service. She's got a group that's going to march at the A21, and some of you are going to be marching with her at this A21 march. It is uh, to to uh, come against human trafficking. It's one of the big needs of our day. And, uh, you know, everybody in here is not going to get excited. We all hate human trafficking, but everybody here is not going to get excited or get fired up about going to march for this. But some of you, when you, you hear human trafficking, it's personal. Yes. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die trying to stop this. And that's the burden of God. You need to get together with Bonnie and with those of like-mindedness because there's nothing like a force to be reckoned with with a bunch of Holy Ghost-filled Christians who put their minds to say, hey, we're not going to sit here and fight over nuanced theologies and be stupid. We're going to actually bring our strengths together and take on the devil and take on darkness and get something done. And throughout this church, we try to help you find a team, find a people. One of the reasons the groups are so important is because you get to knit with other people. What we're doing here as a church, we're about to go over to Magnolia. We're gonna be, Magnolia's gonna be our back door. The Woodlands are gonna be our front door. We're gonna be a regional reaching church. And here's the things we're gonna be doing. This is what we, the church, are gonna be doing. We're gonna help people to know God. We're gonna help them find freedom. We're gonna help them discover their purpose. And we're gonna help them make a difference. Those are the things we're gonna do. Over the, the last number of years, we have beat it into everybody's head and we've put it on our mugs and we put it on t-shirts. We said it this way, when he'll equip go. How many of you remember that? When he'll equip go. Now, I know some of you have got cups and you're thinking, when he'll equip go, I've got it down. I'm gonna tell you, we're gonna, we're gonna clarify that. We used to say, win the lost so that they could know God. Heal the broken so that they could find freedom. I want you to 
we're scratching everything but this for the sake of clarity, because we're not worried about the moment we're standing in. We're, we're thinking about when we get over there, we want to be crystal clear what we're here to do. And so now we're, now we're good stewards, so we're going to use all of those cups so you can still get a cup that says Windhill Equip Go, and you can get it cheap right now. However, <laughs> however, our, our language, just for clarity's sake, is going to be this, and it, it, it's going to be, we're, we exist to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. Say it with me. We're here to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. That's what the Crossing Church exists to do, 3,500-year-old plan. Our prayer teams, would you all make your way to the front? And I'd like everybody here just to take just a moment before we conclude here. If you're here today and you've never come to know God, perhaps you have said a prayer, but there's not been any sense of change in your life. Jesus said this, that on the day of judgment, many people would come and say, Jesus, I got saved. I said the prayer. I signed the card. And he's going to say, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, in other words, you can repeat the sentence, Jesus is Lord. That doesn't save you. This is a far deeper thing. Says, not everybody that prays the prayer is gonna be saved, but those who do the will of my Father. What was he saying? He wasn't saying works is how you get saved. He was saying when you get genuinely saved, this divine nature comes to live inside of you and you want to please the Father. Yeah. Hence, you begin to do what the Father wills. You're tracking with me. That's what salvation is about. And we, in our, our age right now, we are loading the line of those people that are gonna be, that'll stand before God thinking because we said, if you'll sign this card or say this prayer, they're gonna think they're saved. And one of the things God spoke to me about our church, I was praying right up here one morning, and I could see that line of people with a just stunned look on their face when they showed up to enter heaven, and he says, well, I never knew you, but I signed a card. I participated and cast out demons and all you never got saved. That's the bottom line. You never were saved. Our current culture is loading that line faster. I hate to say it, but this morning, churches are gathering and putting more and more people in that line because we're not telling people. Here's, I want you to understand what salvation is. It is, it is you saying, I want to follow Jesus. I want to, that, that is a disciple. I want to follow him. I mean, everybody wants to go to heaven. I said, if you want to go to heaven, raise your hand. That's not salvation. Who doesn't want to go to heaven? Here's the deal. If you don't want to hang out with God here, why on earth would you want to go for all eternity and hang out with him? We, we, we start, and that sounded sarcastic. I, I'm just saying, this is what this is. This is a big deal. And we want to help you actually know God by accepting first step, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so I believe the Holy Spirit is here to help you. If you're here and you've never received Jesus or you're not sure... Man, let's get it right today, okay? Let's take a second and do this right. So would you bow your heads? This prayer won't save you, but your heart saying this prayer in, in, in sincerity, saying, God, I want you to save me. You can be saved today and start to know God. Holy Spirit, would you work right now? I'm gonna ask the whole church to pray with me. And if you're here today and you've, you're not sure, and I want you to say this prayer and give your life to Christ and start your walk today. Everyone praying after me, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner and I've sinned against you and I'm fully responsible.
please forgive me. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He lived for me. He bled for me. He died for me so that I could be saved, so that I could be saved today. I believe you raised him from the dead. And I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I surrender my life. Do anything you want with my life. I'm committed to following. Jesus' name, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer sincerely to God, would you lift your hand very boldly to say, I've given my life to Jesus today. Be bold about it. Given my life to Jesus. Would you lift your hand? Anybody in this room? Praise God, I saw that, saw that. Gang, would you stand to your feet? Today, if you prayed that prayer, there's a card in the seat in front of you that says, I said yes, your next step is to sign that card and drop that card at the desk or put it in one of our boxes. Following that, your next step will be to be baptized. That's what a disciple does. And we'll talk more about that in the days to come. Everybody else, gang, there's a promise that, is, that accompanies our giving and our tithing. And it's one I stand for, and it's, I'm, I'm about to pray it over you. For, for all of us that are going to be giving in the tithe and in the offerings of all gifts, there are promises that accompany that. We don't give to get, but at the same time, I'm not leaving it on the table. I, you know what I'm saying? He said it. I'm for it. I want what he's promised. So I'm going to meet him, and let's meet him right now over our finances. Heavenly Father, our final act of worship is to bring our tithe and our offering. We trust you not just with our money. This is your money. We trust our financial life to you and ask you, we want your blessing and your favor on our financial lives. And there's not a person in here that wouldn't pray that. And so, Father, we do our part by bringing our tithe and our offering and our financial gifts. And we do it as an act of worship. But we right now get a hold of the promise that says, test me in this and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing that you cannot contain. Lord, that is your promise. Lord, we right now, with great joy, I anticipate you opening the windows of heaven and pouring out blessing we cannot contain. Lord, you called Israel to plunder Egypt before they left. And you, Lord, caused Egypt to give up their gold to Israel as they were leaving and being set free. You are not afraid of the subject of money. And so, God, thank you, Lord God, we bless the finances of this church. I bless these families. I bless investments. I bless businesses. I bless the personal affairs. And I pray, God, for brilliant wisdom to handle and steward money well. And so thank you that your hand is upon us. Lord, bless the rest of this day. Bless this great church in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Find more of our podcasts on iTunes or in our audio library at thecrossing.cc. 